So I'd like to begin our time together by showing you a picture, a picture that you've probably seen before, and chances are, when you see this picture, whether or not you recognize it, it, your eyes will go to one of two places. And I want you to pay attention to the place that your eyes look first. Are you ready? Do you have a choice? No. All right, I'm going to show you anyway. Here we go. Uh, let's take a look. Now raise your hand if you've seen this picture before. All right, you can put your hands down. Raise your hand if you saw first the image on the outside, the two faces looking into the middle. Raise your hand if that's you. All right, very good. Uh, put your hands down. Raise your hand if you saw in the negative space in the middle the white image, the vase, or the goblet. Raise your hand if that's you. Uh, true story, yesterday afternoon, I start my sermon just like this, and everybody in the room saw only the black image first. And I thought, well, there goes my sermon. Forget this. <laughs> so good thing we're not all on the same page. Today, we can go on. One image, and yet two things. In Ezra chapter 3, the children of Israel, standing before the foundation of the temple, one moment, but experience that one thing that they all see together in two very different ways. There's a Bible in front of you. Would you grab it and open it with me to page nine, uh, 390, Ezra chapter 3. And while you're turning there, let me put in a plug for our daily devotional videos. We're reading through the Bible together as a family here at Our Father. Go to this website and sign up. Uh, to get an email, short video throughout your week. We're in Ezra right now, uh, just this week. We just started. So we started the sermon series, returning home. But Ezra chapter 3, let's look at the bottom of the second column, halfway through verse 11. See there, those last two lines where it says, And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests... And Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy. And I love this. Because for many of us, this is quite like our experience right now. Returning home to church, some of you are back as our summer begins. Some of you here for the first or second or third time. For many of us, we're like the first group of Israelites, you know, excited, glad to be here to see people you haven't seen in a long time. And yet, at the same time, in this same room, there are many of us, some of you still watching at home that aren't here yet. Some of you are still a little wary. And that's okay, you know, saying, I'm in my mask. I'm not sure how this is gonna go. Or maybe you're somewhere in the middle. One group of people experiencing this same moment in very different ways. You remember like a year ago when COVID started and there was a silver lining that we were telling ourselves. Remember this? We say, you know, I guess it's a good thing right now. It's hard, but, but it's good to slow down and, and it's really given me a sense, to, uh, a chance to cut out some things that our extra, and to really focus on what's mo most important and rebuild our, my life. Do you remember that from a year ago? We'd say that to each other. How's that going for you right now? <laughs> 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 I 
thanks, thanks. Uh, if you're watching at home, I just got a late laugh from like a three-year-old, so yeah, I'm feeling good about myself. So wh what if we could start again and rebuild the lives that we want and not just experience the lives that we're stuck with? These words in Ezra chapter 3 are very important for us in this moment in our story. And I'd like to do two things over the next few moments of our time together. First, to, to rewind a little bit and to dig deep into the context and what's happening here in Ezra chapter 3, because there's some very important things for us. We'll do that first and most quickly. And then second, we're going to spend most of our time talking about the foundations of our lives, the things that we build, the foundations we have, and the one that we need. So, uh, first to the context. All right, flip back to page 389, Ezra chapter 1. And I can hear if you're doing this, because I can hear the sound of the pages rustling. Okay, friends, let's open up. Ezra chapter 1, verse 1, we meet a king. Who is the name of the king? What's his name? Cyrus. Cyrus. Very good. And he is the king of what? Persia. That's right. Now, if you remember, uh, back to Bible history, maybe you learned this as a kid, grown up, middle school, whatever it was, that uh, the uh, I just blanked out. The Babylonians, King Nebuchadnezzar, they conquered the Israelites 70 years before this takes place. And the Persians have since come in and they've conquered Babylon. And so uh, time goes by. Cyrus wakes up one morning and God inspires him to not only send the Israelites back, but also to fund the rebuilding of the temple and the city walls. And so that's what happens first. In chapter 3, they rebuild the altar. Uh, verse 3 of chapter 3, kind of the top of that second column, it says that they do that in the presence of their enemies. They set the altar in its place for fear was on them because of the peoples of the lands. They start with the altar. That's built first. We pick up halfway through chapter 3, and they build the foundation of the temple around the altar. As we keep reading and go through the rest of the summer, we'll be in the book of Nehemiah when they rebuild the walls. I wouldn't have done it in that order. If were me, maybe a bit practically, I would have started with the walls, safety and the presence of my enemies. Now we're okay, and now we can start to build the temple. That's not what they do. They start and they put God first. And then this is the first group of Israelites who are standing here. 42,000 people were in the first wave, the early adopters, you might call them, who travel from Babylon to Jerusalem. Today it's two dots on a map. 900 miles. That's a distance from Denver, Colorado to the middle of Illinois. A couple days by car. Four months by foot for this first group of people. The priests come out. Worship service begins. Look with me at the beginning of verse 11. And they sang responsively praising and giving thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. It's indented there because this was a song that they would sing in worship. This is actually a quotation from the Psalms. And this one group of people is experiencing the same moment in two very different ways. Why is that the case? Well, because on one hand, 
this is a moment of great joy. God is making good on the promise that he made way, way back, way before they left Jerusalem, way before David the king, all the way back to Abraham, where God promised them that he would give them a place, a homeland, where they could flourish, and they would be fruitful, and they would multiply. It's a good thing. This is good news. And yet, for many who are standing there shoulder to shoulder, they can remember what it used to be like, the past. Because this temple is not like the old temple. Not like Solomon's temple that was destroyed. The first temple. In all of its beauty, and all of its wealth, and all of its uh, expensive and riches that was used to furnish the temple. This one is not like that one. But it's not only what they see on the outside that makes them mourn and grieve and cry out. It's also what they feel on the inside because they're very aware that it was the mistakes of their own people that got them into this situation in the first place. One group of people experiencing the same moment in two very different ways. That's the context. That's the background. Let's talk about foundations today. Uh, here's a picture of the foundation, the cornerstone of Our Father Lutheran Church. Uh, you can see it right outside under the tent over there. Come early next week, grab a donut, grab some coffee, hang out with us. Uh, dedicated in 1985, our church uh, was born 11 years before that in 1974, just a mile away. And so this campus, we've been here for, uh, somebody do the math on me really quick, 36 years. April 21st, sanctuary was expanded. It's right out there. Cornerstones today are largely symbolic. But in that day, the foundation of the temple had everything to do with the cornerstone. Builders would carefully select the most square stone and build the walls off of that square stone. And they would reject any stone that wasn't square enough to be the cornerstone. They're largely symbolic today, but were very important in that day. Foundations matter. Uh, here's a picture of our basement. Um, my wife, Jackie, and I, our son Adam was one year old when we came here. Uh, came here from Florida where the soil is full of sand. And we moved to Colorado where uh, there are basements and there is bentonite. We didn't know this was a thing. And we also learned as we were buying our house that there are two types of cracks. There are vertical cracks and there are horizontal cracks. This one is a horizontal crack, as you can tell. It's much wider than this close-up picture demonstrates. It's longer than my hands can stretch. We were faced with a choice. We just live a couple miles away here down Dry Creek Road, three-bedroom, split-level home, unfinished basement. And this house had a really weird market history. It was on the market, off the market, on the market, off the market, for a couple of months at a time, for a couple of years. Bank-owned home. Are there, is there a, have you heard of a bank on home in like the last 12 months? Is, does that exist even right now? God gave us this like amazing place that we could live very close to where we are sitting right now. We're very you can come over for us. Uh, Dry Creek and Broadway, uh, right behind Little Hospital. We can have a beer on the patio. Right, honey? Yeah. <laughs> so we were faced with a choice. What do we do? Do we buy the house or not? Uh, how long has this crack been there? We don't know. It's bank owned, don't have a lot of history. If we do buy it, what do we do? We could fill it 
that's an option we could cover it up when we finish it someday uh, we could try to fix it probably be pretty expensive what do we do fill it cover it fix it my friends that's the journey of every human heart what the Bible tells us about ourselves is that we're not just flawed or cracked that we're broken that every single one of us in this room and every single one of us watching from home that every human being is on a journey to get back home to experience again a sense of peace where we are the people who we know we're capable of being and to do the things that we know we really long to do to fill the emptiness. It's a part of every human heart in the particular way that each of us is broken. We're not just flawed or cracked deeply. If we're honest with ourselves, as we confessed a few moments ago, that we're broken people in a broken world. Fill it, cover it, fix it. That's every one of our journeys. And all of us have a go-to. For some of us, it's to fill it, to fill our lives with good things. For some of us, it's the past. It's one thing to look back and remember what we had and who we were with nostalgia. The past is a good thing, but it's another thing to live with our eyes in the rearview mirror for so long that we miss what's right in front of us in the present. For some of us, it's filling it with family and friends, because family and friends are good things, to be married, to have, a, to have children, but there's a difference between having a family, being in close friendships, and pinning our hopes and dreams on those who matter most to us. Here's what I mean by that. Because in every relationship, whether it's one of your friends, every season, uh, or every marriage has a season of life, uh, every, the longer we get to know someone, and the, the more our kids grow, there's a season of disillusionment that happens after the people who we thought we knew turn out to be the people who they actually are. The people who matter most to us weren't built to carry our hopes and our dreams for who we wish they were. And they're good things, family and friends, but it's possible to make them the cornerstone of our life and to center our lives on them. It's the past for some of us. It's our family and friends. For some of us, it's work and money because work and money are good things. And it's a good thing to feel good about what we do and to go home, to walk from the car to the front door and feel like we accomplished something that day. But it's another thing entirely to make it our cornerstone, to make it the cornerstone of our schedules, and to do, in the intention of good things, to make more or to climb higher, to cut corners and to do the wrong thing instead of the right thing. I'm looking around this room and I'm seeing people who I know in your heart of hearts wish that you would have spent more time at home on the floor with your kids and less time at the office. Some of you who may be younger like I am have a sense that there's a different way to prioritize 
even our work when it comes to our family. Which is it for you as you think about filling your life? What are you filling your life with? For some of us, it's not filling, it's covering. Because if you're honest with yourself, if the people who, who know you best, the people who are sitting next to you right now, and even the strangers in this room who you may not know as well, if they knew what was on your list in that moment of silence when you confessed your sin, they wouldn't think the same thing about you that they do right now. And it would be more than disillusioned. It might be great distance. And it's possible to have entire rooms of our heart, corners of our life that we cover up and if we do that long enough, our, our whole heart will be reduced to rubble. Fill it. Cover it. Some of you say, that's not me. I don't have a problem with that. The way I live on the inside matches the way, who I am on the outside. And I don't have a long list of things that I do wrong. Not a whole lot to cover up at all. Maybe way back then, but not a lot today. Can I be direct for a moment? If that's you. You know what your problem is? It's your own goodness. The self-help project of your soul. To have it together. To live up to your own standards for yourself or those of the people around you. And, and you know this is true of yourself when you find yourself saying, I know God loves me, but... but I just can't forgive myself, but I'm still worried. I know God loves me, but I'm just not dealing with this the way that I wish I could. When you start to beat yourself up, to, when you don't live up to your own standards for yourself, or for that matter, when on the outside, the people around you aren't living up to your standards for them, when you find yourself rolling your eyes, whether outside or on the inside, and you find yourself kind of doing this internal moment of indignation and scoffing. <laughs> Fix it with your own goodness. Cover it up or fill it with something. That's the journey, my friends, of every human heart. Which one of those is your go-to? You want to know what mine is? All three. So what do you do? You know what we did in our basement? You know, because we could have filled the, tra uh, filled the cracks and it might not match the basement wall and the cracks would still be there. We could cover them up, but we asked for money off the sale of our house from the bank and so it was disclosed and so we know we would have to disclose that if we ever sell the house again. We hope to be there till we die. At least I do, honey. If we could be there for a long time, that'd be great with me. Could, we could fill it. We could cover it up when we finish the basement someday or we could fix it. Be major project at major cost. You know what we did? We left it. <laughs> <laughs> Come over, I'll show you the crack. It's still there right now. Looks a little different though. Put some paint on it. You gotta leave it too. There are a lot of people who would stand here today and say, there's something you can do. 
You can rearrange the priorities of your heart, and you can rearrange the schedule of your life and of your family, and you can do more and work harder to put God first, because after all, that's what the Israelites did. They put God first, and they didn't build the walls first. They built the altar and the temple first. You could do what they did, and if you're not, at, uh, you're not in the room, but if you're at home, you know, you, do, you can put God first and come into this room and join us. You need to put God first and come to church, and you need to give more. You know what? I don't think that's what Ezra's trying to show us. More is not the answer. Stop is the solution. Leave it. Leave it to Jesus. And I know that on the surface that may seem obvious, but how can the good things in your life be just things? How can they be things that we don't use to fill our life or or to cover up the darkness in our heart or things that we do to try to fix our life by ourselves, to fix our broken hearts? My friends, it's only when you see the one who was broken for you. Isaiah says that he was pierced for our transgressions, that he was crushed for our iniquities. And for all that you've done to cover up the darkness of your past and the things that you're doing in this day, the present, his grace covers you. And for everything that you've used to fill your heart, he emptied himself on the cross for you. In John chapter 2, Jesus is standing with his friends and he's talking to the Pharisees in the shadow of the temple. And they say to him, "Uh, what authority do you have to drive out all these things and, and kick us out of the temple? And he says, I'll tell you this, but it's my temple you destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up again. Do you remember, though, I just noticed this. Do you remember when he is there? This is John chapter 2. It's the beginning of his ministry. He, his first miracle is the opening verses of chapter 2 where he does uh, his first miracle in Cana. He turns water into wine. You remember that? And then he goes to Jerusalem. But do you remember why he's there? He's there to celebrate the what? Anybody? The Passover. And I can't help but wonder if on that day, He's thinking of the day to come three years later where he will celebrate the Passover with his friends. The night before, his body would be destroyed. And three days later, it would be raised from the ground. Peter calls him the stone the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. And to the degree you build your life on him, the cornerstone, the things in your life will be just things, and you won't need them to fill or to fix or to cover up the darkness in your heart, the cracks that you are. You will have the one thing that you need, because you won't need them. You will have the steadfast love of God that endures forever. You see, in Jesus, because he has died on the cross and he has risen from the dead, he is one person and he is two things, and in Jesus, because of his steadfast love for you, you are one person, but you are two things too. 
that you're a sinner and a saint, that you are so bad, he had to die for you, and yet at the same breath, you are so, he is so glad to die for you. You are that love. You're a sinner and a saint. So bad you are, yet so glad he was to die for you. You are one person and two things, and your life may feel like a mess, and it may be a mess that you've made for yourself, maybe a mess that someone else has caused for you, but you are made in the image of a God who knew you and formed you and knew your sin before he laid the foundation of creation. One person, two things at the same time. How beautiful is that? Not either or, but both and. In the name of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen for you and for me, amen.